Hey Troopers, welcome once again to Sunday School Bonanza, a This Week in Mormons production. You can find us at thisweekinmormons.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at the uh, appropriate addresses, etc., etc. That's my plug for that. And if you want to shoot us an email after this, that's contact at thisweekinmormons.com. Happy to hear from you. Always enjoy your feedback. But before we move along with this week's Sunday School Bonanza, I would like to introduce my co-host, my beloved friend, Bill Doolittle. Hello, sir. Hey! I am so glad to, to be back and to see you, Jeff, and to I've, chat together, to, yeah, speak, how's, uh, to speak with one how's, another concerning the welfare of our souls, as uh, they say. Well, that's, yeah. I was actually uh, watching an old video of us from, like, What's now five years ago when we jammed up in the Appalachians? Appalachians. Was that five years ago? That was five years ago when we did our little rock out show and, and yeah. covered Guns N' Roses songs. Uh, and yeah, and the man who uh, man who sold the world. Yep, it was a good one. gig. That was a great time. That was the first time I really like played time. my mandolin a whole bunch for people. You know, I'd done you like do it more. One little number. I agree. I agree. I gotta. You're doing great things. So. Uh, well, we're happy you're here, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. For being a part of this. Always a pleasure. This week's lesson is lesson four. It's called Remember the New Covenant, Even the Book of Mormon. So last week, you remember, we spoke a lot about, of course, Joseph Smith being called the first vision, the accounts of the first vision. It was great. And now we're pivoting into the realm of the, the Holy Scripture. And the thing I love about studying the Book of Mormon, I love it, especially with the last lesson in mind, is remembering that... Uh, Angel Moroni, the Book of Mormon, this was the crucial stuff for the missionary work early in the church because the first vision was largely unknown to the members of the church back then. So this is really the the crux of the stuff that formed the Mormon identity back in the early days. And that's what everyone knew. Like you read a lot of these accounts, some of which we'll reference, of... uh, you know, someone like Martin Harris and everyone, or Oliver Cowdery, you know, he'd heard of Joseph Smith. He'd heard of the angel and that he had some book. This was famous in the area. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool. There's a great attention activity, as I always like to mention. This one, basically, if you're a teacher, you write the words Book of Mormon in a number of languages, assuming you have time to make your way through all that Chinese and Korean before class starts. There's no and, way. Uh, I mean, maybe. all you say is, from humble beginnings, the Book of Mormon is now everywhere and but then see here's the that, thing is i know i would write that wrong and it would say like the fish of mormon or something like <laughs> i mean it's a high stakes attention activity so and then after that it, you can snarkily time. you can snarkily remind everybody that we don't have the book of mormon yet in every language because the church refuses to pay non-mormon translators to translate the book uh-huh. so we, we we go in a vicious circle of missionary work yeah where we yeah. say we'll translate it once we get more members but you can't get more members without translating it but anyway Anywho. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, we jump, as, as you say, this was this was really important uh, to the missionary effort. And as you see in all the accounts from last week, right, from all the accounts of the first vision, all of those accounts, uh, Joseph's accounts, come from uh, records in which he, anytime they tried to write out the history, it was first vision, I had some sins and I needed to repent again, and then Moroni. So, like, even once the first vision became part of the important founding story of the church, as Joseph would tell it, mm-hmm. you still went right from there into the Book of Mormon because that was a big deal. Um, yeah. And so, the, you know, as we get into the material, the first section is on Joseph Smith's preparation um, and how he was prepared to receive and translate the Book of Mormon. And there's, you know, a lot of that. I, I don't know. I mean, Jeff, I don't know what you think about this, but it seems like 
the way he tells the story, the things that led up to his uh, vision with Moroni and the being charged with learning the story of the Book of Mormon over the years that it took him before he was ready to receive the plates. Um, there's a lot of Joseph repenting in there. Yeah, um, yeah. He's learning stories about the Nephite people, but he's also struggling with the temptations of being an adolescent and all of that's, you know, and then into, into his early 20s. And so he, you know, there's a lot of repenting going on. And so then as he gets to the Book of Mormon, he's perhaps more ready for that additional message of Christ. And, you know, there's a lot of, in the Book of Mormon, is as we remember from all the lessons last year, the Book of Mormon has a lot of explicit teachings about how the atonement of Jesus Christ works. And if you're as young as he was, unless you've done a lot of repenting like he did and really been conscientious or, or conscious of your sins— I don't know if those messages really land and and really would make sense mm. to him, um, but they did, and and that was pretty amazing. You can see that um, they also have the great story in here. Uh, as with all of the lessons this year, there's a lot of new historical material included in there. It's well worth the dive into them. Um, you get this story about when Joseph first saw the gold plates that he wasn't prepared to receive them. Uh, I had always thought that that was he thought he might maybe sell the plates, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But in one of the multimedia presentations that they give um, attached to this lesson, it says it wasn't just the gold plates, but when, that when he saw the gold plates, he knew he couldn't profit from them. He knew he couldn't sell them, but he thought maybe there's something else in the box I could sell. And he attributed that thought or attributed to that thought his inability to obtain the plates at the time. So there's just a lot of maturation he had to go through. Um, and then also there's preparation on the side of the mechanics of translation. Uh, as we know from a lot of the new uh, historical information that a lot of us are, are learning and getting through the church, uh, he also, we know that he used a seer stone to help translate the Book of Mormon in addition to the interpreters or the transparent stones that he found with the Book of Mormon. Um, yeah, the uh, the actual Urim and Thummim, and that's and that was funny because yeah. I've learned they they use that as a colloquialism to describe basically any instrument he used in the translation process. Yeah, that was interesting. So the little, and I remember I'm sure you've seen the picture now because I thought that was amazing when the church put out the uh, the essay about the translation process, and they actually got out from the archives. They said this is the seer stone that Joseph Smith used, not the Urim and Thummim right. specifically, but the little stone that Joseph Smith found to use as a seer stone. And I love that because I was like, oh, so we've, we've had this in possession all this time. And I'm sure the First Presidency and the Twelve have known where it is and said, you know what? We can show the public this. This is cool. Uh, and it's interesting to me because I learned a couple of lessons from this. The Urim and Thummim, obviously, he, I believe he found in the box in the hillside with everything else. Right. Um, but the other seer stone, which he kind of came to prefer a lot of the time, was one that he had because people believed in seer stones actually to find things. And I see a lot of parallels there with the brother of Jared, with the Lord saying, hey, you need, you know, you need to do this and you're going to figure it out. And he says, great, I figured this out. Maybe if I get these pebbles, Lord, and you touch it, there will be light because that's mm -hmm. what I believe it will do and the faith I have. And Joseph Smith was very similar. And, and as you know, it's, it's so important to know this because – Old depictions, whether we were playing it safe from a PR perspective or what have you, you know, it showed Joseph Smith sitting at a table with the gold plates in front of him and with a little cloth over him, right. with his finger on him as if he was just kind of working through it, receiving inspiration and dictating to Oliver Cowdery, when in actuality, he was either looking at the plates with the Urim and Thummim, which were these two clear stones that were actually hooked together, or 
he would put the seer stone in a hat and then to cut out the light and put the hat on his face and uh, and dictate, which is great. And I'm glad that we're embracing that narrative yeah. of what actually happened. Because I'm, I'm sorry, if you believe that an angel appeared and gave Joseph Smith all this stuff, I don't think it's a stretch to believe in no. the other methods of translation. It's just funny how I think we were so worried about playing it. Well, it's uh, I, exactly right. I mean, you talk to people a lot now who are are – you know, and, and I understand where they're coming from. They learn new information that they hadn't known before about the process, and they're kind of adjusting to that. But I always thought the whole, like, oh, he used a seer stone was kind of weird because, like, the story we believed up until you found out about this was that he looked through magic glasses, right? Like, it's it's still – it is – Or he just knew. Yeah. yeah. Or he just knew. I, mean, I, always thought he, I always thought he just looked at the characters and just inspiration came to him, and he was just kind of translating on the fly. That's Yeah. Because that's what it – that's what it shows you. But it's just, I mean, you know, none of these is from a, if, if you're a skeptic, if you're a cynic, none of these is less plausible or more or less plausible than the others, right? All of them requires him to have translated by the gift and power of God as he claimed, or he was making it up. And so it's, you know, I, but I'm glad that we're really talking more about it because it does seem historically from the records of his scribes that he used the seer stone uh, in the hat more than the interpreters. Mm-hmm. Um and it was interesting yeah, because some it. of the – one of the historical pieces talked about how his contemporaries would often use the words Urim and Thummim to refer to either, right? To refer mm-hmm. to the interpreters uh, that he got from the Jaredites or uh, also to refer to that one seer stone. But he had used it, as you say. He was comfortable with it. He'd used it before uh, that process, not for the act of translation, but he had had it uh, and and believed in that kind of thing. So it was more comfortable to him. Although I can understand why, you know, even just from an image perspective – you, you, it'd be hard to like paint a really inspiring picture of a guy with his face in a hat, you know? Right. And then like, how do you do that in the video? Right. You're like, I'm translating. You know I mean? It's <laughs> what do you, I don't know. Anyway. By the way, little stories. We will, we'll, uh, let's swing over into some of the, the preservation of the book of yeah. Mormon, which a lot of it involves Martin Harris, but a little great Martin Harris story is you find out, sorry, Martin Harris. Yeah. Martin Harris down the line that he, um, at one point swapped out the seer stones uh-huh. with the one Joseph Smith had because he kind of wanted to test it and see if Joseph Smith would just keep saying stuff, like if he just memorized everything he was saying beforehand. And it didn't work. And Joseph Smith was like, what's the problem here? What's going on, Martin? And then Martin <laughs> admitted to what he had done. You see, Mar- Martin Smith is interesting. He's a bit of a doubting Thomas throughout history. And I think we often look at him that way, but we also forget that he played a pivotal role in the entire Book of Mormon process, not least of which because he bankrolled the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, you, without his vast resources, they would not have been able to go to the, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the location, the Garing, Garing, Gregging, the, the press. The uh, Grandin. And, uh, Grandin. Grandin thank you. Press. Yeah. And uh, get it printed. Because we always hear about the 116 pages, right? And, uh, you know, Martin was under a lot of pressure from his wife in particular. After asking a number of times whether he could have them, the Lord kept saying no, and Joseph finally said, okay, you can take them, and then they were lost. And yeah. uh, there are many accounts as to what might have happened to them, but either way, they were gone. And naysayers would, of course, wanted to keep those and then use them, and Joseph Smith didn't translate the rest of the se- those sections that were lost because if his translation would have not matched the then altered ones by those who took it, people would have cried out that he's a false prophet and, you know, a lot of... Uh, stuff like that but uh that was a rough period though yeah it was a very rough period i mean he he as as uh we know after the loss of the pages and as you say i mean martin harris eventually sold off 
a lot of his farm uh, to cover the debt with Grandin to, to publish the initial 5,000 mm -hmm. uh, copies. So here's, here's a guy with all that pressure, and then you make this mistake, and then it really cost. I mean, Joseph, the uh, angel Moroni came and took the Urim and Thummim away. He lost his gift. And that's in some of the, the sections for this week's lesson are sections 3 and 10 that talk about this um, mm -hmm. talk about this event, but it was really a defining moment for Joseph because he lost his gift and he really thought that he had failed the Lord. And that became, um, I mean, Martin Harris, when he lost the pages said, I've lost my soul, right? When he confessed to Joseph that he had lost the pages. Um, these guys understood that they were on a, a very important mission and, you know, and that, that only became more and more confirmed to them, um, as the gifts were taken and then given back. Um, so. And Joseph felt lost too in the process, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He um, and I, you know, I was trying to find the the uh, source for this, but um, my memory of a church history class I took it uh, in college uh, was that Joseph, you know, Isaac Hale, his father-in-law, was not wild about Joseph Smith um, <laughs> being a seer and having this, you know, as his career, right to to finance uh, paying for his daughter's livelihood. And, uh, yeah. you know, in that moment, there were several times before the Book of Mormon process began, the translation process, and during that Isaac Hale was pressuring Joseph. And so when Joseph loses those pages and loses the gift for a time, um, you know, there's that's playing into a lot of internal uh, turmoil for him. Um, they lost their first child, you know, around that time. And I mean, this was a rough period for him. Uh, and so the joy that he must have felt when he gets the revelation that your gift has returned, I'm going to let you get back into it, right? Um, so we get that preservation, and then we get uh, Martin Harris sharing his uh, his livelihood, his, his resources to get it published. And when it goes out, nobody's buying it. So Martin Harris eventually can't recoup his money and sells off his farm. Um, and I, I don't know if you remember this talk. Uh, Jeff, I, I shared it a couple of weeks ago in, in Sunday school. Um, Elder Oaks, Elder Dallin Harris Oaks, uh, who uh -huh. is who is uh -huh. uh, related distantly to Brother Martin Harris, uh, gave this talk in general conference about like we need to – you got to stop bagging on him. You know, this was an amazing man who was crucial to the publication of the Book of Mormon. And all we remember him for is his one mistake. And how many of us want to be remembered for our one big mistake, Right. Um, I do. You, I don't know. Maybe you, Jeff. Not really. Maybe your mistake was just epic. But so anyway, it makes sense that he gets to be one of the witnesses of the Book of Mormon, right? Um, yeah. So and uh, and the story of the witnesses is great. I mean, I don't want to assume anyone's heard it, but of course you have Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. We're all permitted at some point to see the golden plates themselves, and they never denied their testimony. And some even said that they had, especially because. Um, they some most of them struggled to remain in the church mm -hmm. <laughs> for for periods, but I love that uh, David Whitmer was actually quoted saying, "You know, it's been said that I denied my testimony about this as one of the three witnesses of the Book of Mormon, and I'll say it once again: I have never denied my testimony, ever. Neither has Oliver Cowdery, neither is Martin Harris, and they both they both died before him. He said they both died reaffirming the truth of the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon." And a great thing I take from that is these are people who even struggle with their church membership, and yet they never denied that. They didn't. They didn't say, "Great, now I'm out. Now I can tear the thing down." You know, yeah. it is. They said, "Nope, 
I know exactly what I saw, and I know what I saw witnessing Joseph Smith translate that that scripture. Uh, and there were some other witnesses. Maybe, Bill, real quick, we only have a few minutes left. Maybe you could tell us about the uh, the great string. Tell us about the string story. Oh, I thought this was so great. So that, you know, they've yeah. got the additional historical information here, and I go to click on one of them, and it's a story about Mother Whitmer, David Whitmer's mom, and the role that she played. And the lead on the story is like, it's totally a buried lead, right? Because the lead of the story is that Mother Whitmer homespun string. Like a lot of women on the frontier at that time, you couldn't just go buy string, so you'd make your own. And she did this, and the string that she made was used to bind up the printer's copies of the Book of Mormon as it was being printed by uh, Grandin's Press. And so I'm reading this account about how she made it, and you can see that we still have the string in the church archive vault, and that's pretty cool. Um, Mm -hmm. But then later down, it tells a story, and I think I heard this once, but I remembered it. And the story is that she really wanted a witness of the plates, right? And so she was praying about this, and an individual, uh, 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 she doesn't identify who it was, uh, came to her with the plates in a knapsack, in a backpack, and showed them to her, let her see the plates, and she gains this witness, and then the individual takes them away. And she claimed, you know, she had this story, and it's part of that, but, like, the lead on this thing is she made the string. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> she's actually another witness of the plates? Can we, like, can we, you know... Show that maybe, maybe put that, that at the top of the page, guys. But um, pretty cool, pretty cool. And then of course we have the three and eight witnesses and the sections that you go through in the the manual cover um, the revelations to Joseph about doing that. And that was really important because uh, without that, I think that's a key thing to take away is the church is doing a really great job of trying to get out all the information about the translation process because people struggle to believe that this book is a real thing. And yeah. in everything you see. You know, there a lot of those theories of he's reading from another book or somebody else, you know, made it up and gave it to him. Like it, the way that he did this was really inconsistent with that. So fast and without any aids, none of his scribes, even people who left the church, witnesses, nobody ever turned on their confirmation of that it went down the way he said it went down and that it was done, as he says, um, you know, powered, powered by the gift and uh, power of God. Yeah. Well— our time is up, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. But um, lastly, good reminder from President Benson, though, mm. that uh, sometimes we're not so good about uh, you know living, knowing the Book of Mormon. So the yeah. big encouragement here is to read it, to live it, and I promise your lives will get better. That's what I believe. I and believe I've seen it too. That in my own life. Well, we could talk about this all day. Anyway, Bill, thanks for being here this week. Thank you, Jeff. Once again on Sunday School Bonanza, this episode, Lesson 4. Remember the New Covenant, even the Book of Mormon. Lots of great stuff to read to prepare. So while you listen to this, we hope you'll go to LDS.org and read a lot of the other stuff. So for Bill, I'm Jeff, and hope you have a great Sabbath. Bye-bye.